Hello, friends. You're listening to Fun Therapy, where we dive into the horribly messy parts of our not-so-perfect stories with a smile. Each episode features a candid therapy session with a key leader, influencer, and or artist. No talking points, no shameless self-promotion, no success stories, no here's how I did everything right. No, my friends, only beautiful imperfectness on display. My name is Mike Foster, and you're listening to Fun Therapy. In this therapy session, I'll be talking with Ryan O'Neill, otherwise known as the artist Sleeping at Last. One of the things I love about Ryan is his authenticity and his humility and his willingness to talk about the not-so-perfect parts of his life. It's a fascinating conversation with Ryan. I think you're going to love this session as we dive in to the not-so-perfect parts of Ryan O'Neill. I'm here with uh, my good friend Ryan O'Neill, always known as Sleeping at Last. Yeah, so tell me about, I, I'm just so interested in the sense of you being an artist and a creative. And one of the things that I know about you and just in our discussions over the years and just being friends, is like there's, there's this, this tension of holding um, you know, this beautiful art that you make and yet sort of the, the fear of like putting it out there. <laughs> yeah. And, and almost like there's a um, sometimes, and I think it's true with a lot of artists, just that that sense of like I hope they like it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because I have chosen since I was probably 14 years old to continue to make music, to sing in front of people, to write down like the most personal thoughts that I have in these songs. And still, as I'm a 34 year old doing it, it's still it, I have the exact same like questions in my in my head. It's like nobody's going to like it. <laughs> this is, you're being too vulnerable. Don't do it. And so I'm still terrified. Every time somebody hears a song, every time, even even friends that will come over and, and hear a song early, I just, I cringe the entire time. Even though I believe in it. Clearly I yeah. believe in it. Otherwise I wouldn't keep trying to make music. But um, but yeah, I definitely, I, I've got a lot, of, I've got a lot of insecurity baggage bringing, bringing to the table with my, uh, with my, with my art. <laughs> what, what do you think? Um, <clears throat> What do you think that? I mean, you mentioned fourteen. Like, where yeah. did it? Where do you think that? How that popped into your story? I don't know. Um, I think so. When I was when I was uh, when I bought like my first CD, I remember. I think I think it was actually the Lion King the soundtrack. That's like and, great uh, first CD. And there was I can't remember which song it was, but there was at least a song or two on there that like made the hair on my arm stand up, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm my body's like. I'm being moved physically by the sound, and um, and I would notice that there would always be a ballad on every record that I would buy. That I would, I would, I would just. I'm like, I want to do that. I want to try to, I want to try to make music that could move people in that way. And I, I feel like as I learned about songwriting, it, it became clear that the only way to do that was to be as genuine and honest as I possibly could in the songs. And so I think it ended up maybe at that point uh, turning into like a. Uh, not self therapy, but a little bit where I, I'm 
I'm like, okay, well, if I have to be as honest and genuine and as uh, as as sincere as I possibly can be, if that's like the criteria for every song I write, then I'm gonna actually have to be honest and sincere and talk about things that I don't necessarily want to talk about to anybody. Um, so I feel like there was I had an early understanding of that, and so that led me to to making music that I feel vulnerable about, but at the same time. Um, Clearly, I, I put it out, so I must not yeah. be that insecure about it. But I also do think, like, if I, if there was ever a time when I felt like really confident about it, I'd be real concerned. Hmm. I'd be like, "There's either my radar is messed up, <laughs> or I'm just a full blown narcissist at this point." <laughs> yeah. um, so I think it's probably it's probably good for me to cringe a little bit every time I hear something I'm doing through the ears of other people. Like if I'm, you know, hearing it in any any uh, context around friends or family or any of that kind of stuff. It makes me very nervous. What's the, I mean, you've written so much great music and, and have talked about so many different topics. What's, what's the thing that for you, Ryan, is the most fear or cringe-inducing topic for you? Like, ah, this one's re- the, really hard to talk about. Oh, um... Usually it kind of happens by accident a little bit. Like there's a couple a couple songs of mine, uh, one song in particular, Touch, where I was, it, it was as a part of a series of songs based on each of the the five senses. And so I thought, okay, what would it, what would it be like to write a song about kind of losing, losing the sense of touch, which is really the only of the five senses that you can, that you can't turn off. Like you can, you can plug your nose, you can close your eyes, you can hold your ears, um, you can not put food in your mouth or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but you can't like you can't not feel the chair underneath your butt. You can't not feel the floor underneath your feet. And I thought, okay, well, what would it be like to to n- fully remove and be numb to that? And then all of a sudden, I was writing this song about a depression that I was going through. I'm like, oh, I I was trying to be honest and sincere, but apparently, it ended up writing the most personal song I've ever written and how it actually feels through I think at that point there was a year that I was going through where I just felt like I was not in a great place and not in a great headspace and um, that song on accident kind of brought language to it All I want is to flip a switch Before something breaks I cannot be fixed Even in the production of that song, I tried to, I tried really hard to, um, to record it uncomfortably too. Like I, as a as a producer, I like to get the right take. I like to record as many times as it takes. <laughs> I like to feel good about it. Um, and if there's something that bothers me, there's I think this quote. I can't remember if it's maybe it's Paul Simon that said it, but there's nothing you can't fix in the studio. And so I always have that in my head. I'm like, okay, what, don't be scared. I can I can I can change whatever. I can re-record. It. I can not show anybody the song or whatever but for touch for that song i uh i wanted to record it with no reverb on the vocal i wanted to record it as like one take i wanted to record like all these different like rules that like okay if this is really going to be a vulnerable song i want it to i want it to be uncomfortable for me to hear always and i also want it to be uncomfortable uh, for the listener to hear a little bit too and it's not i mean i'm sure i didn't go all the way with it i'm sure i made sure that the it wasn't I, you know, I, I didn't sing the wrong lyrics or <laughs> things like that. Maybe but, just um, a little bit of Just reverb. a little bit, yeah, maybe just a touch. <laughs> so um, I, I'd be, you know, this is called fun therapy. And um, 
tell me about the the depression or that that year. What was what yeah. was going on there? I don't really know. Um, it was it was like a it was a year of feeling like nothing bad was happening in my life, and I I feel like what a what a privilege it is to even even feel depressed in a year when when your life is going great. But um, it, there's just I I would wake up and I would feel like the beauty and goodness that was around me and my family and around me and my friendships and the in the house that we lived in and everything else felt like I knew I could I could write down on paper like these are wonderful amazing things but I couldn't feel it and I felt like super detached from everything for um for probably at least 9 9 to 12 months um where it just felt like I don't know if it was stress induced or um or adjusting to parenthood and uh which was Again, in in retrospect, I, I look at it and I think, oh, like that could not have gone better or more smoothly or more. Uh, it is it, it inspired you know twenty songs about it <laughs> for me. Um, but there's also definitely a, a, an adjustment to uh, how I was processing myself and how I was seeing myself. There's there's it was a numbness. That's the only word I can come up with without like quoting my own lyrics from <laughs> from the song Touch, but. Um, what what are some of the lyrics? I don't even remember. <laughs> no, it would be, uh, when will I feel this as beautiful as it truly is? Uh, I know, I know, I, oh, what, is, what is the chorus? I don't remember. I'd have to, I have like, it's like a, it's like a, a key turning when I have the piano chords in front of me, then all of it's stringed together, but I can't. I can't recall them on, on demand. So that also this, is a product of writing too many songs. <laughs> you, you're very <laughs> prolific. So just a sense of feeling um, kind of numb and just not in tune with, with... Yeah, like almost unable to enjoy good around me. Uh, unable to, like, it, it probably is connected to gratitude. Like, I, when you know you should feel grateful for something, but you can't show up for it you know in the way I don't know if it's maybe even as I'm talking about I'm realizing that maybe I'm just I'm uh, I, I was gonna say that maybe I feel uh or I was being hard on myself to not show up but I no I think it was literally I would wake up and I would just feel like when is today over <laughs> you know um which is really out of character for me and uh very strange but um but it was a year I got, I got some good, sad songs out of it. Hey guys, it's Mike. Just wanted to pop in here real quick. I don't know if you noticed when Ryan was talking about this, where he said that everything was going great, and yet he felt detached from everything, and he could not experience beauty or joy. This is a common, common, very common symptom of depression. Some other uh, symptoms of depression, sleep changes, anger, irritability, just this sense of um, hopelessness and helplessness in your story, just a bleak outlook, just a loss of interest in daily activities. These are all clear signs of either you or somebody struggling with depression and should be tackled and dealt with immediately.
feeling this and you're you're clearly aware of it mm -hmm. like you know yeah and w at what point do you feel like um i need to do something about this i think it's pretty immediate where i knew i knew, i wasn't successful at doing anything about it but i i felt like i needed to get ahead of it for a, a while so i First, it started with conversations with friends and family, and then um, then I just started to, like, okay, I need to make changes, not just talk about it a lot, because I felt like the talking about it a lot was helpful, and it, it brought language to it, but at the same time, it, it it almost made me feel like I was getting adjusted to just talking about it rather than actually putting any action into place, and um, I feel like I feel like it was somehow connected to... It was definitely connected to stress. Like I feel like I had taken on too much uh, with with career stuff and with um, just with being just overcommitted. Where I felt like once I once I kind of had I guess the right amount of conversations or the right amount of time passed, it started to I started to see a little bit of the end of the tunnel, and I started to just, like the feeling started returning to the equation, which is a really wonderful. Uh, moment <laughs> so so for you talking about it was part of um getting through the tunnel yeah definitely and then and recognizing the <clears throat> the added stress in your life yeah what else did you do um i restructured my daily life for sure so i restructured how my days worked so i before before having a baby I would work on my music anytime I felt like it. I, and my wife would, uh, Kate would would be completely in support of that and she would work on her projects. And so we we had, a, sleeping at last and my music was this thing that I would, I would work into three in the morning and then I'd wake up at 11 and you know, like that kind of thing, if, I, if it needed that. And if I was racing a deadline, I would, I would just work nonstop until it was done. Um, but I was really, really, really uh, aware that when I became a dad that I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make sure that like, I would work hard always, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever miss as, you know, miss any Lily's first or uh, be a workaholic or any of that kind of stuff. So I think that through the process of of this this season of life for me, I, I I realized like okay, I need to I need to have like regular working hours where it, I can try to be as inspired as I possibly can be in this time, and I input matters and output matters too. But um, I think what I realize is when you have an eight to five version of creativity, after having unlimited time, like you start to realize like oh, it's only focused on output. There's no time for input, and I need to I need the input too. So I, I started adjusting that a little bit so that it looked like I I, I started to get, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm trying to find the words for it, but I think I got better as the year went on. I got better at being away from work and being off, and better at when I was working and being on because I felt like that was that was like the weird overlap was that when I would when I would work on music my brain I just wanted to not be doing it I wanted to be with my family and then when I was with my family my head was like beating myself up over what I didn't get done that day and it was like this weird cycle of that back and forth and that might have been just an adjustment process of uh of having more specific 
hours of creativity. And then also I started taking off weekends, which I never did. I would always um, work right through them. <laughs> and so now, uh, now I have like a pretty, a pretty normal schedule where I wake up, I spend a couple hours with our kids. We have two kids now, as you know. Um, and so the, the balance has been just a lot more enjoyable and a lot more uh, reasonable. I still am stressed out a lot all the time. As Ryan was talking, I couldn't help but think about how he was defining the word enough. He's trying to do it all, be it all, high excellence, but all of this eventually having a breaking point. And the breaking point for Ryan was not feeling anything anymore. Because when you're trying to live up to a standard that is never satisfied, it feels impossible, it feels hopeless, life becomes numb in this constant race is the natural logical outcome when we have an unhealthy definition of what's enough. And that's why I ask him this next question. Do you find, do you find that um, you're, you're critical, like very critical of your work and yourself Yes. <laughs> you don't even need to finish okay. that question. Uh-huh, uh-huh, 100%. Okay, so um, tell me about that, that criticism, self-criticism. Yeah, so I think, I think even through that season, that year of feeling low, I, I think I was recognizing that like, not only am I critical of the work I'm putting out, but I'm critical of the work I'm not putting out. And I'm critical oh, of the... Of the role of fatherhood I'm playing I'm critical of the husband I'm being like so there's a lot of uh a lot of that inner voice just being just cutting me down all the time and I do feel like that maybe maybe that unplugged some of my 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 feeling sensors <laughs> in my life it was just sort of like well the only way to numb out some of the voices is to literally numb out so that's maybe that's maybe that's what happened um but I'm very glad that it didn't continue. But yeah, I still I, I still battle like the criticism, the self-criticism. And like I said earlier, some of it's healthy, I do think. That there's there's like I don't I don't ever want to get to a point creatively where I feel like I am absolutely certain about anything. Cause I feel like as soon as you're certain about anything, is it's the exact moment you're gonna find out you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um so I feel like I feel like with my music, there's a when I'm finishing something, I I think I there's like a weird internal compass that tells me when it's done, when I'm done with it, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if it makes me think like, oh, I probably could have done that better. I, there's it's almost like a like an agreement with myself that I know I have truly shown up for the work, and both myself and this other critic are like, okay, yeah, you did. <laughs> Even if it's not the, you know, the exact optimal result. Right, because that critic be. still will always find something yes. that, to improve on always. the music. Always, yeah. Okay, so tell me about yeah. the, critic, <laughs> the critic for Project Ryan and Ooh. that piece of music. It's, so there's one thing to bring, bring the critical the side, yeah. to the creative side, uh-huh. but in terms of you. It's the same... Uh, it's a twin brother. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I think it's. I don't know it. So my identity is so wrapped up in my creativity, and I think that when I had 
when I became a dad, I realized like, oh, my identity has to be way bigger than music. And as a husband, it has to be like, what greater privilege in identity to be, to, to father kids and to show them the world, you know, like that's, so I feel like I was maybe, maybe the weight of like screwing that up was pretty big where I felt like, oh my gosh, I've been dreaming about this moment to be a dad like my whole life and it's here and I'm tired. Mm. <laughs> That's unexpected. That was an unexpected mm. thing. I don't, I'm, I don't want to be stressed out and tired. I want to show up and be like everything that I had dreamed of being as a dad and as a husband. And um, when real life happens, then you start to realize, oh my gosh, there's a limited resource of energy and time. And, um, and so if my identity is so wrapped up in sleeping at last... Uh, I, that's, so I'm glad that this podcast is called fun therapy <laughs> because I literally, I think I'm figuring that out right now. I think that my identity was, is, and was so tied up in my creativity and my, my music that, uh, it afforded me up until kids, it afforded me to let my personal life get a little less of me and just, just showing up as a husband is, is obviously important and hard, um, but it, it it it's two adults working around each other. There's you know you can you can still manage to be pretty selfish <laughs> as an adult with an with another adult. But with <clears throat> kids into the equation, I was realizing that oh crap, I might have put too many eggs in my creative identity, Ryan. You know, mm. basket. That was a very seamless sentence. <laughs> well, one of the things I I'm hearing is even with. Um, there's the creative Ryan. Yeah. There's the husband Ryan. Mm-hmm. There's the the dad Ryan. He's and and some of the it feels like there's the and we all get caught up in the the human doing versus a human being. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense of maybe like some of so much of your identity was in music or this yeah. doing aspect. Yeah. I do music. I'm doing marriage. Now I'm doing fatherhood. Yes. Like, but like for you, just the the act of being, mm-hmm. and just sitting like with Ryan, not doing anything. What is that scary stuff right there? <laughs> okay, tell me about that. <clears throat> I'm not great at. I'm not great at the being part of human being. <laughs> what? Tell um, me why why that's uncomfortable for you just oh, to I don't know. be with you. That's a good question. Um. I'm sure that I'm sure that my identity or my worth is wrapped up in my identity uh, more so than I probably have given much thought to. So if like I'm really terrible at vacations, I'm just not good at them. I'm my brain I'll be like, "All right, I'm taking off 2 weeks to just totally reset and recalibrate my life and at least 2 weeks of that <laughs> of that time will go by and I'll be like, "All right, yeah, I did a lot of work on that time, and I totally thought about the emails that I needed to respond to, and I totally thought about, uh, you know, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not great at self care. So I'm, we've talked about this before, but um, the Enneagram, I'm learning a little bit more about what it what it means to be a nine. I, I am a nine, and uh, there's a little bit of like a weird, there's a weird relationship I think with nines and self care, like I. I I can't remember where I read this, but it's basically like nines have the ability to kind of almost 
I just auto self-care. Like I'm my my life is built around self-care, but not necessarily in a healthy way. So actually prioritizing self-care, like physically, like going to do something for myself is totally foreign to me. Hey guys, just a little background on the Enneagram. Uh, the Enneagram is a personality profile test, which has nine different personality types. And Ryan is a nine on the Enneagram. And a nine is what they call a peacemaker. He avoids conflict. He wants peace. However, the problem with being a nine is that they generally do not have a strong sense of really inhabiting themselves and a strong sense of their own identity. Well, yeah, because the the mm-hmm. the nine, which is the the peacemaker, is all about others yeah. being happy. It's true. It's true, and also avoiding anything that could disrupt that. Yes, <laughs> and self care. And self care just it, it, it yeah that. it almost seems like well the people that depend on me mm-hmm. that what what are they going to do if I'm self caring you know but at the same time I also I I'm I, I, this is this is an area that I'm my wife and I've been talking about a lot. Um, Cause like when we when we talk, she'll be like, "All right, I need I need to go do this thing this week. It's really important to me." And I'm I'm always envious of like it being so clear. Like this thing mm-hmm. will help me reset, and this thing will help me get back to get back to zero or help me feel better. And it's not you know it's not a, a always a hundred percent accurate or perfect for her, but at the same time, it seems it seems like the like the the action is so uh, it's it's so. Uh, direct and for me it's she'll be like hey you should do go tonight you have a night off do anything you want to do just like I want you to just take care of yourself and I will be like um I guess I could like write a bunch of emails (laughs) or doing the human doing the human doing yes exactly or like the best probably the closest thing is like I'm gonna go see a movie I'm just gonna do that but even that it's it's it stimulates the same the same creative part of me, which is the like, oh, how did that that shot was so incredible? So how did they piece that together? Yeah, like, oh my gosh, that score was amazing. I love what they did with the French horn, or you know. So I'm still, but it, that that falls into the category of input more than output mm. for me, and it's re- that's critical for my my I think well being and and not only just creatively, but the input stuff is is so important to me, um, and I have not prioritized it. And you and I had just talked a little bit ago about um, how usually everything is upside down of the way that it should be, you uh-huh. know? and that's definitely like yeah, yes, priorities. Exactly, output has has been like way too high on the priority list when really it should be output then, or input then output. Yeah. You know, I should be inspired first and then create. And um, same thing with with my personal life. I should be, um, I should I should be soaking it up, not you know just being a human human doing yeah so <laughs> human it, doer it reminds me i, I just um i put this thing on my instagram feed where lewis ck talks about I sadness just saw that. yes and so it, good. it's such a great clip where he just says you know we're so connected we're so doing things posting phones technology all this mm-hmm. stuff so we don't actually have to sit with our heart yes and actually feel and he talks about feeling the sadness right and so we you just like lean into it. Avoid feeling sadness by just 
doing rushing social media technology. Yeah. Uh, we're on vacation. We throw out you do emails yeah, because it's that that being part is really when we're actually connecting at the very deepest level with who we really are and what we really feel. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And to be able to like actually lean into the uncomfortable uh, part of that is so it's so hard to do with all the distractions that we have at our disposal. So let me let me just ask you a question. What if you were to be maybe you're in in Maui and you're fully on vacation, no emails, like nothing about work yet. I know it sounds amazing, right? <laughs> it does. And you're to be with your heart. What what are you? What emotion do you not want to sit with? Hmm. There's a there's a lot of them. <laughs> I wanna I, I don't wanna sit with uh, the I guess it's the the inner critic for sure of being unproductive. That's a that's a big thing. And I know it's a little bit unusual for an Enneagram nine to feel that way because nines usually are a little bit more meandery. <laughs> so the critic says what about you? Like if critic, to sit with his voice says what What are you? like I think that if I'm not doing, the critic is telling me that it's not worth being. Maybe that's what it is. The, the, there's so much of an importance deep down in my in my brain on um, on being productive that I feel like when I'm not, my I, I beat myself up over it. So there's a value <clears throat> question in terms of you, who you are, your worthiness, your yeah, your. Your reason for existing in the world—it's like for some, you're less than. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Moment. Okay, definitely. Yeah. What else? So there's the critic mm. and what he's saying. Yeah, that, that critic keeps popping up. <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty loud. He's, he's a he? loud guy. Um, persistent. Very persistent. It's a little bit of a broken record. Um, is there is there sadness? Hmm. A little bit, but I'm not sure if it's. I'm not sure if the other than that season of that year. Um, I'm not sure if the sadness in my life is more than like like every once in a while I'll. And I think everybody does this. You realize that you're a, a human being that <laughs> has a beginning and an end, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden everything in the world feels like like oh my gosh everything is hanging by a thread. Mm. <laughs> like I wake up and I think. Um, yeah, today I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And how presumptuous it is for anybody to make plans at all when you don't know how, how your life is going to unfold. Um, so there are other days, there are days where I'm tuned, a little more tuned into that thread, like, oh my gosh, where I'm, when I'm, I look at this, like, this looming darkness around my, around my life that um, could take the shape of anything from illness to uh, loss and everything else so there's that that sadness comes and comes and goes but i think i think i mean i'm gonna assume that a lot of people feel that way but maybe maybe that's a unique (laughs) unique awareness um i think uh, i think sadness about um the fact that our life will have a finality to it finality to it yeah and isn't it amazing that we both we this is like the most downer thing to possibly say but um it's incredible how good we get at 
keeping it at bay. Like uh-huh. I'm always, and I, I do think that it probably that's exactly what Louis C.K. is talking about, where where you you just you don't you don't want to acknowledge that it's there, and you don't want to acknowledge that it's it. There's anything to feel down about or sad about. Um, but we do. I mean, we wake up every day and we make plans, and we 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 make plans for years in advance. Like there's, mm-hmm. um, which is also really beautiful and hopeful too that we're doing that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I'm going off the path here of what you're asking me. But well, I think it's interesting that you know I bring up sadness just because there is, um, and I'm a huge fan of you and your music. You know that. Thank you. Um, Try not to be too much of a fanboy here, but there is this this ache in the music. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's um, it's absolutely beautiful the ache. Thank you. But there's also there there's a there's like it comes from somewhere. It does come from somewhere. That's a good point. Where is it coming from? <laughs> We don't have to. Fi- we don't have to figure that no, out. No, I do. Now I want to know. We can. We can try. If you want. <laughs> Help me, Mike. I want to know where it's coming from. Because um, I would say that I'm. I'm not a super sad person at all, uh-huh. and you know me well enough to yeah. know, like. I think my. I, I'm. I'm definitely able to, and I don't know if that's part of being vulnerable in my music, or or, or, maybe it's part of a style of music that I like, where it just lends itself to being a little bit more. Um, a little bit more uh, minor key, <laughs> but um, yeah, and it doesn't. And I don't even think we have to get stuck on the word sadness, but just the ache. Like, what? No, oh, yeah. Where does the ache come from? I, I, that's the thing that's crazy to me is because I, I have an amazing. I have been so fortunate to have this incredible life that I don't know where it comes from. It's clearly, I don't like. I have I have great relationships with my parents. I have, um, I have experienced loss, but in a uh, far less than most people I know, and um, so I don't. Apparently, I'm, I'm avoiding whatever <laughs> whatever that ache is. So I don't know if you notice how Ryan describes how everything around him is so good, family his parents. He feels grateful for what he has. But this is the problem with the critical voice that Ryan is struggling with, because he's letting the inner critic define the word enough. He's letting the inner critic define value. And according to the critic, he is never enough. And that ache, the emptiness, maybe comes from that need to be perfect and excellent in everything we do. The feeling of not doing enough will always be there until we say and believe that we are worthy and that we are enough. It could just be the possibility of, you know, the the critic is just um, really causes a lot of hurt. It does, for sure. I would even say, I mean, even as you press record on uh, this podcast, I, I'm immediately thinking of all the, the dumb things I might say. <laughs> like even even as good of friends as we are, like I'm I'm always aware of things coming out of my mouth the wrong way or being perceived in in a light that is not how I meant it or sounds stupid or whatever. So I do th- I do think that the 
the inner critic has been chiseling away for a very long time in my life. And so I, I'm, I'm writing these songs on the, on the Enneagram, not to keep, keep bringing it up. Um, but I just, I finished a, a little while ago, the one song, which is the perfectionist. And mm. one of the, one of the key, uh, I guess the word trait, one of the key traits of the one is that they um, they have this really loud, intense inner critic that is constantly saying that they have not done enough or they are not enough to um, to they have to earn love. They have to earn what they what they get. And um, I always felt like I wasn't of all the enneagram types. Like you, you know, each each number has. You might lean into a wing, uh, the number adjacent to you on either either side. I always thought, I'm like, I don't, I don't have anything in common with ones, <laughs> surely. Mm. But as I was learning about that and writing that song, I'm like, oh, wow. There's that inner critic. Sounds a whole lot like this massive inner critic in me all the time. Did you catch that? Did you hear what he just said? Quote: This massive inner critic in me is talking all the time. That's what I call a nuclear truth in these therapy sessions. That is the purest, most stripped down version of Ryan's core struggle. So it was a little bit cathartic to write from that perspective and to, it, 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 it brought some, it shed some light on my own, my own inner critic and how big of a role it plays. Cause I, I think I would have said even, you know, 10 years ago, oh yeah, I'm very critical of myself, but I don't think I would, I don't think I, I would ever even know to acknowledge that it's as big as, as big of a pulling force and, or a, you know, a, a negative force in my life. You've gotten just so used to it. Yeah. It's so so integrated in terms of how you have managed Mm -hmm. to do life. Yep. Exactly. Like, it all, uh, it's 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 like an abusive relationship that I'm just like oh well, that's just how he is. Yeah, <laughs> he's just gonna rip me apart a little bit. But. And that that that's a good word for it. It is it is an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I always I always found because I, I I think most people who are listening in right now, certainly uh, this guy sitting in the chair across from you, the inner critic, those sorts of. Um, perfectionistic, uh, do better. Mm-hmm. You're nothing if you're not, you know, creating great stuff, all those sorts. Of, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Oh, for sure. I, I always feel like, um, uh, giving it a name or like calling it Joe, it's like Joe, like, you know, cause, cause some, jerk, Joe. yeah. Cause sometimes in the abstract <clears throat> of like the inner critic or it's like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just part of the thing. You know, it's right, just, right. it's mysterious. I just saying like, Calling it out and saying, like, I hear you, Joe, but I'm not, you're wrong on that. Right. And you need to pipe down. It's sort of like fear, calling it, like naming fear and not like, well, I'm afraid of spiders. Not naming it like that. Yes. But but naming it like, hey, we're going to call you um, uh, Mark. Okay, Mark, you're going to sit in the back seat and you're not going to have the final say. Because, Mark, you're nuts, okay? (laughs) Everything's scary to you and everything's going to go wrong and everything's like... And so, you know, I think sometimes that practice of just getting that clarity and saying, because you wouldn't actually put up with this abusive relationship from anybody else. No, that's what's funny, yeah. It's just, it it crosses lines that nobody else could, you know, which is... 
which is a real bummer because it's I do have control of that because <laughs> it is me. Um, and yeah, we we were talking before the before this conversation about uh, the almost the measurement of negativity versus positivity, and I feel like this plays into it too, where I can I can receive you know ten wonderful compliments and. All it'll take is one. I can receive a million compliments, and all it would be the one, and I would remember the one negative one. And I know, I know a lot of people experience that too. But there, is, there really is something uh, that that is bigger about negativity that 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 is heftier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, in psychology. It's the negativity bias, the sense yeah. of we are we're kind of hardwired mm-hmm. to receive negativity in a much more impactful way than good things in our life yeah they they just land differently exactly and even so I, I think i mentioned um i did a song for each of the five senses but i also did um basically in the same series it's all about involuntary human development and i also did the the four basic like primal emotions um fear anger sorrow and joy there's only one positive uh-huh. out of the four of these ba- like the the very essence of who we are those are like as a like as soon as you come out of the womb i mean inside out the movie is about all this stuff too um which is so beautiful that's one of my favorites my favorite too and i'm so excited that my daughter it's like one of her favorite movies ever so fantastic i've seen it two thousand times (laughs) (laughs) still still love it um and but it is it's true like you you are born with with this one precious positive compared to these essential but um very real three negatives and i think yeah. you were saying that it's actually like we can't remember we, i don't think we was it radio lab that that was mm-hmm. doing a story on that um where it's actually like a a measurable a measurable thing but it is interesting that it actually shows up in our just our basic emotions <laughs> yeah and, and honoring that seeing that again what lucy is like yeah it's like it's okay that it's there yeah. It's primal. Yes. It's part of the human experience. But. And I love what he said about that you, after leaning into the the heartbreak or the feeling that you're trying to avoid, like then you actually experience profound happiness. Yes. Like that's so beautiful. And I, I feel like that has happened several times in my life. So it rings, it rings very true. And it's a good reminder to continue to lean into it when I, when I feel it. It is, it is funny too. Like there's, I'm very, I'm very addicted to my phone. I think that's a super rare condition. <laughs> nobody, nobody but me has. Tell that. me more about that. I don't yeah, think anybody knows what you're talking about right there's now. There's just like smartphones are these things <laughs> that you can just look at anything you want. Yes. You can email. You can <laughs> and um, I, I, I tried to, I tried to play this, and I'm sure there's been variations of this that people do. But um, it occurred to me we're we're on one of our vacations. Uh, or, or recent vacation, and I, I was trying not to use my phone nearly as much as I, my brain would, mm-hmm. you know, continue to push me to. <laughs> it's just like habit, like scratching my arm or something. Um, and I thought, like, okay, the best way to think of it is, do I like if if being on your phone is really like escaping or uh, being transported somewhere else. I should every time I have the instinct to pick up my phone, I should think, do I want to leave? where I am right now is is what's happening right now not interesting to me and I want to go somewhere else 
And if that's true, then sure, then pick up the phone and go somewhere else. Like if I'm waiting for somebody to go to the bathroom <laughs> outside yeah. the restroom or something, sure, then you can disappear. You don't have to be present in that moment. Um, but I found that that little practice was like, oh crap, I really don't want to be gone. I want to be right here. This mm. is this is this is where I want to be. So um, so I'm still I'm still trying to put that into practice. But I, I do I do suspect that if my phone disappeared forever <laughs> i would be a happier person i'd be a more content person in my life yeah. i do think that the the distractions it's just another way to another way to not um like like louis ck talks about uh it's another way to not have to feel yeah. <laughs> the important stuff that i'm supposed to be feeling yeah it's it's just uh, mm-hmm. uh, another way to avoid being a human being, right? And and the being, the human being is really about the present. It's about being fully, fully occupied yeah. in this moment and feeling all of it, whether it's sadness or joy or whatever it, yeah. it might be. And the escape, and we choose lots of different things where escape mm-hmm. takes us out of that present, whether it be our phone or Jack Daniels or whatever our choice of escape might be, work, all yeah. of those are, are great escapes to human doings versus human human beings i'd like to be a human being again that's a good idea we <laughs> I, I i like ryan <laughs> Thank i you. love your music i love the way you raise your kids i love you, you being a dad I, lo- I love your relationship with kate but but i love you as you Thank and you. i think the more you you feel that and accept that and tell Jack the critic to, to pipe down a little bit. Um, I, th- I think that's a, it'll be a beautiful place for you just to, to enjoy and relax and, and, and feel, feel the, the goodness of life and right. the joy of life and, and still have that ache. I mean, the ache is part of who the you ache are. The ache is too. definitely, it's there. The, yeah. It's a fingerprint. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's it's um, it's important, and it's there for a reason, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, thank you. Thank you. You, um, uh, I just I just love everything about you and everything your Me your too. vulnerability in your music. Uh, just being your friend is is such a a gift to me, and thank you for just sharing. Um, so real and honestly uh, in this in this fun therapy oh my gosh seriously my pleasure thanks for letting me um put my inner critic aside for a minute and enjoy talking to you (laughs) he was there he was he was was present he was present for most of our conversation but i'm i'm sending him away for a little while (laughs) and i love that (laughs) he should go away for a while he should go away he needs a vacation he needs a vacation jeez yeah send him off to maui (laughs) (laughs) awesome if you like the fun therapy podcast please do me a favor and subscribe and also leave a review or a rating on itunes it means a lot to me and it really helps out the podcast you can connect with me at mikefoster.tv or on Twitter at at Mike Foster. And if you want to see pictures of my fluffy Pomeranian dog and my family and see inspirational quotes for the journey, you can follow me on Instagram at at Mike Foster 2000. Thanks to Sleeping At Last for providing the music for this episode and of course, sharing so openly and honestly from his story. 
Fun Therapy is a proud member of the Relevant Podcast Network. For more shows from the Relevant Podcast Network, make sure to check out relevantmagazine.com backslash podcasts. Until then, my friends, until the next time that we gather with our not-so-perfect stories, just remember that your setbacks can become your superpowers, and honesty is always the best policy.